Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 45th episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Midwestern artist Tim Kowalczyk. He works predominantly with ceramics and sculpture and makes these small, little, intricate, detailed little pieces that are predominantly slipcast, but he does a much better and thorough explanation of how all these processes work. So please check out this interview and also please check out his website, timkowalczykblogspot.com. He does a lot of updating there, so if you want to see progress on current pieces or find information about upcoming shows, it's all there, so please go ahead and check that out. Once again, we'd love it if you followed Studio Break by becoming a subscriber to our blog, so please go ahead and do that. Once again, we'd love it if you would give us some comments and some feedback, and of course, while you're there, you can peruse over the 45 full-length interviews, complete with slideshows and links to the artist's websites. Once again, you can also easily listen to us through iTunes. Just follow the link to the iTunes store and subscribe there. Once again, while you're there, we would really appreciate it if you left us some comments and some positive feedback. Once again, others that are looking for similar art podcasts might easily find this a bit better if there were a bit more comments, so we'd really appreciate it if you went there. Please just do us that little, little favor. Once again, if you're interested, you can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break, and once again, we provide updates there. And you can also find updates on our Facebook page, Studio Break on Facebook. Once again, you can like us there to find out uh, previews of upcoming artists and see uh, past shows or you know past artists or any other things that are going on in the news. So please like us there as well. All right, folks, here is Tim's interview. Check it out. All right, I'm happy to be joined tonight by Tim Kowalczyk. How are you tonight? Very well, thank you. Thanks again for joining me tonight. And I know, again, we've uh, we've uh, kind of talked here and there for uh, uh, Facebook and openings and stuff like that. So it's kind of exciting to have you on to talk about your work. And, um, you know, as you know, we like to talk a little bit about the background of uh, our guests. So if you could just uh, provide us a little bit of information, you know, where you're from, maybe where you uh, went to school, and, you know, we can kind of go from there. All right, well, I'm, a, I'm an Illinois kid through and through, I guess. I grew up 20 minutes southwest of Juliet in Morris, Illinois. And my parents are both, well, I don't know if they consider themselves artists, but I do. My mom's a flat glass worker. Um, she does a lot of stained glass and abrasive etching. And then my dad's kind of a jack-of-all-trades guy. did a lot of woodworking and metal stuff. And then um, I have an older brother who's six years uh, older than I am, and he was the 2D guy, and uh, always really good at drawing and all the uh, graphic design stuff, and uh, I knew I couldn't beat him, so I decided that I would make sculptures instead, so I took to that at a real young age, because uh, I knew I couldn't beat him, so I had to be better at something than my big brother, you know? Right, right, there's always that competition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then... Uh, I 
ended up going down to Carbondale in 2002, I think it was, um, after I'd been at JJC, and I graduated high school, and I didn't think I was going to do anything, so I just ended up taking a lot of art classes at JJC. I think I took all but like five they offered at the time, and went down to Southern, and I was majoring in art education and getting what I thought was going to be a sculpture degree, and then I had a really great GA in ceramics that said, you know, you can make sculpture out of ceramics too, and, uh, you know, to use the, use the phrase kind of blew my mind, I was like, really? I don't, I thought you just make functional stuff like cups and plates, and it's like, no, no, no. Uh, so I ended up changing, uh, dual majoring and getting my degree in art education, my BFA in ceramics, and getting a minor in art history. And then I took a year off, got married, moved to the butt of Illinois, which is Lawrenceville, Illinois, uh, where my wife was teaching. And I was doing more work in our studio basement, basement studio, whatever you want to call it. Um, then I was trying to do a real job. I was like running home to make things and, and fire kilns and taking up a lot of time, and I said, well, uh, I know you're about to get tenure, but can we apply for grad school and move somewhere? And we kind of picked some spots where we thought we might want to live, and I had heard a lot about ISU through one of my best friends, and we had a lot of people, and it was close to home, and it was kind of the, the backup plan at that point, and I applied to five schools, and uh, I got accepted to two of them. And ISU just had the better assistantship, so ended up coming up here. And not to say that the professors weren't good. I mean, Tyler Lotz had just started to show up on Ceramics Monthly and things like that. So I found that an interesting aspect. And then, yeah, I came there and spent my three years in grad school. And then we moved, what, like, Six months after graduation, we moved to Minunk, Illinois, which was where we bought a house. And we ha I have a studio basement again, uh, much larger than the ones I've had in the past. Yeah. So still in the, still in the basement, but but a larger yeah larger basement space. Well, it's it's interesting too because you know especially having that that kind of background then with with parents that seems so you know um, I don't know craft oriented or, or you know like uh, working with your hands and all that stuff it sounds like your family was really I don't know into into doing those kinds of things it, were you were you ever like doing them together in terms of oh yeah you know, we did teaching and learning and um, it's really funny the house I grew up in my parents bought two years before I was born so throughout my life I remember doing a lot of you know remodeling stuff taking down the plaster lath and drywalling and doing electrical work and then of course my mom was always making stained glass in the basement at the time uh, and then as I got progressively older my dad started taking me out in the garage and we'd fix the car and, you know change the muffler and the oil and all you know whatever needed to be done so I learned a lot of that craft out there uh, working with metal tools and you know just various items and then uh, they were my parents were a big proponent of having a backup plan, which was 
probably good in the long run for me. Because I didn't really expect to do anything when I graduated high school. I was like, oh, high school's going to be it, and I'm going to get this job, and I'll, you know, I'll find a factory somewhere or something like that. And I didn't think much beyond the scope of high school. And I uh, took some vocational classes and things like that and just kind of reinforced the things I learned at home and then added to it a little bit. So, And so was art something that was... Um... I don't know, something that you were interested in terms of when you're going through school and, and obviously I'm obviously I'm talking about like pre going to actual school for, you know, art ed and all that, but I mean was it something then that you were, you know, kinda of taking all those different kind of art classes that they offer in high school or was it something that you were just doing yeah, on the side? It was really or? funny in high school because we had the ceramics teacher and then uh, the art teacher. And you had art one through four, and then I think two levels of ceramics or something that were offered. And I didn't really want to take ceramics, but I, you know, I took one through four, and then my, I think my senior year I took ceramics. And uh, I didn't much, you know, it's not that I didn't like it, it's just I didn't want to do it all that much, and I wasn't really all that enthralled with it at the time. So I, you know, even from... Uh, a fairly young age, I was always drawing and making drawings at home and trying to emulate my bigger brother. But like I said, at some point, I just decided, you know, I can't really keep up with his drawing skills, so I got to figure out something. And that's when I started to do different things. And I was really lucky. My high school teacher like introduced me to scrimshaw and all this other kind of random stuff, as you know, high school art teachers do. And then at that point, I was just like, yeah, you know, that's that's great. I guess, I, you know, when I graduate, I'll get a job, and I'll take some junior college courses, and we'll see where it goes from there. So Sure. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, you talk about that, I don't know, that, that competition or that level of competitiveness, uh, you know, as someone that you think of as painting or, or drawing or, you know, making something that's like a, you know, like a 2D, maybe hyper-representational, I don't know what it, it sounds like. You know, something that was just someone who's really good at at drawing and, and working like that. But you know, the the work that you make now, especially, is so much so much like that, but of a three D you know nature in terms of it being so stealthy. You know, so it's it's kind of an interesting thing hearing you talk about that from a you know like a younger standpoint because it's still you know it's still something that comes up now, but maybe in a different way. Yeah, well, it, I think a lot of that has to do with the the craft the craft orientation of my family. Like like I said, my mom's a flat glass worker, and my dad did a lot of woodworking and built a lot of furniture. Uh, and then I had my brother, who is the, you know, the more traditional 2D artist type person. And then, you know, I just, it was always something we did. My mom had random jobs here and there, and she'd get stained glass jobs, and uh, my dad would need, you know, a new TV stand for the bigger TV we bought, or that wasn't quite working how he wanted it to, so we'd have to build a different one, so we'd go out and use the, you know, saws and things, and, you know, it was, it was always a, a technical thing when I was growing up, like, to learn a craft, to understand how to build something and make something well. Sure. I think transitions into what you're talking about the ceramic trapeloid or hyperrealism. And so what, what was it then when you, when you want to, you know, uh, 
you know, like many of us wind up kind of wandering through our our post high school days. I mean, I'm, I don't know. Someone might might say that you know they had it all figured out, but I, I think you kind of are always kind of figuring it out, you know. Um, but what was it like then when you when you wound up going back to uh, to study at, at JJC in terms of the classes? I mean, I know that well if you if you listen to this uh, podcast before, I mean, we've got a whole bunch of people that wind up taking a class here or there. Um, as it turns out at JJC. So, I mean, was it, was it one of those times where when you went there, there was a good group of, uh, you know, people going and, and kind of challenging each other and bring up interesting things or what? Uh, there, there was, there were a lot of people that I still keep in contact with. And, uh, there was just the alumni show there that I got to show with a lot of those people. And then a lot of people that were in the BFA program at ISU that had also gone through with the same instructors. But when I went there, uh, I didn't I didn't particularly like the 3D teacher, so then that also kept me away from ceramics a little bit longer. Uh, I took a lot of painting courses and drawing courses, and I made a lot of really really bad paintings. And I thought I was uber cool, as I think most of us do, you know, like making paintings in junior college and thinking, oh, these are really cool paintings, and this is what I'm going to do, and uh, so I did some really bad paintings, and at, at some point, is I, I was trying to make them too sculptural, and I was trying to attach things to canvas, and uh, and I just decided, you know, I know it's, it's not worth working in painting, and I'll just end up making more sculptures anyways, so I kind of reverted back to... Uh, sculpture at that point well and was that like a a, i don't know what kind of sculpture you know was it that you were doing i mean were you doing multimedia stuff or uh i was using assemblages um it was just random things i found and putting together to try to make some bit of content that i thought was there but probably wasn't now that i look back at it i don't know if it ever is when you look back at it (laughs) <laughs> right yeah it, you know you're in the moment and you're just making stuff and like I said the the people around me were just ridiculously crazy and doing very well for themselves um, David oh, what's his name I can't think of his name anyways there was a whole bunch of people Ryan Robinson and Warren Miller and all these people that were you know I I knew I could keep up with them and Dave Wilson there we go uh that I just knew I couldn't keep up with, but they talked to me and helped kind of guide me and push me in the right directions. And uh, I kind of learned a lot more from them, I think, than I did anybody else. Right. Well, and and so were you all, because you kind of talked a little bit about these assemblages. I mean, were you interested in some of the, the banal type subjects that maybe you're interested in now in terms of replicating, you know, the ordinary in, in some of the work that you do? Or is it some, was it, you know, that grandiose kind of like, I'm going to like make this like blo- box with like skull teeth and others. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it was kind of, you know, more loaded, I guess. Child- childish, I think is the words <laughs> I'm going for. Uh, I used a lot of like garbage and I I think about that even when I go to make sculptures now out of clay is you know when I was a kid on Fridays it was garbage day and during the summer I'd ride around my bike and I'd find uh, different things that were really interesting and half broke and I'd take them home and 
kind of construct different things out of them. And then I think that kind of pulled into, uh, I don't, I don't even want to call it a studio practice at that point, but making art quote unquote, uh, in my basement and my garage and putting these, uh, broken pieces of things together. And I, I really didn't know what, I don't think I knew what my scope was or where I was going with them at all. I was just making random things that I thought were cool and uh, probably have no bearing. And I don't think there's <laughs> right images of anything. So, well, and so then what wound up changing then when you wound up going, going to school um, and you said you, it sounded like you had like three different majors. So, I mean, was <clears> it something then that you intended to start out kind of going well, art ed? Cause I, I also kind of had that, that kind of a uh, route where I did that and then was like, oh, no, I can paint, I guess. They can tell me I can paint. I'll do that. <laughs> well, like I said, you know, I went there with, you know, having the backup plan in place, which was art education. And it was a good thing art education was theirs because I went and I thought, oh, I'll do art ed and I'll get my sculpture degree. And uh, I was making sculptures how I thought I, you know, I was making sculptures before and, you know, I was getting some pretty rough critiques and, uh, I, I had a really good GA in my ceramics course and he's like, you know, like I said, he kind of pushed me and said, Hey, you know, you can make sculptures out of clay too. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And we kind of started working with things and from the get go, you know, ceramics is a really community based effort, or at least I always feel like it is. And he was like, well, you should go talk to this guy over here and uh, about doing pit firings and things like that. And so I started to pick up on that stuff and, you know, manipulating the clay how I wanted it to form, which was really enticing to me to be able to take this raw material and just, I want it to look like this and being able to transform it that quickly. It, you know, something, I guess, akin to the way uh, real painters would be able to shape the painting on their canvas and things like that is how I took the clay right away. So, uh, at the same time, I'm having all these struggles in sculpture and, uh, not really finding my footing there. I decide, well, maybe it's time to change over and do ceramics. And because ceramics was mandatory via the, uh, art education curriculum. So, I take one and I take two and I, at the time when I took ceramics two, I couldn't throw to save my life. And, but then there was the saving grace that I could manipulate clay hand building. So I ended up making these, uh, much more sculptural pots that were, you know, I couldn't make one with a flat bottom. So I made some rock and I made some with, uh, pieces that came off the sides. And, and so I started building up the the modeling and molding techniques of to be able to do that and make some more sculptural items out of clay and so, so. In, in terms of the things that you're interested then in, you know and, and again this could maybe be whenever whenever it became really you know um something that you were invested in but i mean what were those pieces like then when you when you started really getting into this medium that that you know maybe you didn't think of as being you know what you're going to be doing prior to you know well, you know, I think I just like clay, so I made a lot of a lot of stuff, and they were 
at the beginning they were creatures and they were pots with different kinds of feet and different ways of putting handles on things and they were very non-functional functional items like making a vase and then deciding okay I'm going to trim the bottom off and I'm going to put legs on it and things like that uh, and just exploring the material and how to how to do that and then uh, my wife who was my girlfriend at the time I had started to try to make some pieces uh, with like some molding and making bubble wrap and I was trying to make functional wear with this, uh, you know, cardboard and all this stuff out of what what little knowledge I knew at the time of plaster molding. And she had come down for a visit. She goes, why are you trying to make cups? I'm like, well, I'm in ceramics. Don't you, you know, once again, trying to, I kind of got narrowed in that path. And you make cups in ceramics, right? She's like, yeah, but you don't want to do that. I'm like, you're right, I don't. And then that's where the switch happened. And luckily, you know, I think most good undergraduate programs and graduate programs have good visiting artists. And David Furman had come for a workshop who was friends with Harris Deller. And I really took to the ceramic slip casting. And he was getting ready to leave from his, like, three-day workshop. And I said, well how would you make a cardboard box like a, a cubic folded cardboard box in, out of a mold and goes, you don't want to try that. That's too complicated. Work with a flat one first. And, you know, coming from the background that I did, I was like, I can't do that. No, I, I can do that. I can figure this out. So through his workshop and my persistence, I figured out how to cast my first box, and of course it's white, and it's it looks kind of like cardboard because it has the textures and things like that. And uh, I made what was called the, my tissue box because the pore gate, the spot where the slip goes in, was on the bottom. And it was circular, so it kind of looked like a tissue box. Um, and then, so this whole thing developed about the cardboard box. Some stuff happened, and uh, I, I, was, I was trying to deal with memory of my grandfather passing away and things like that and my grandfather and my father and I think at that point maybe my brother had started working there they worked for a company for General Mills making cereal boxes and so I, I was kind of working with the idea of this box being storage and cardboard boxes being in everyone's basement and then working with these slipcast objects and opening them up and what would be inside or trying to lead to something on the inside. And it kind of snowballed from there. And and then I had some really great grad students that were around and we were talking one night and they were just like, you know, you, you have to continue doing this. You can't just go into art education and be done. I'm like, you know, once again, never thinking the next step ahead. Didn't think I was going to go to junior college. Didn't think I was going to go to the BFA program. And now I have, you know, some people I, I really respect being like, hey, you should really go to grad school. And I'm like, yeah, it's not going to happen. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you know, get done with my BFA program and take the year off. And I'm just making work and making work. And I'm like, okay, now it's time. I, you know, clearly I'm still making work. Right. So, 
Well, and so, and so how did you wind up then coming to ISU? I mean, you, you had said that you applied to a, a number of different programs, and I guess, you know, just to kind of clarify then, so were you w- working with a lot of the same, you know, I guess the, the body of work that you applied for with, was it a lot of the things that you were just kind of talking about in terms of, you know, kind of starting to make these, um, trying to learn how to make some of these forms in, in, with that slipcast technique? Yeah, well, by the time I graduate SIU, Carbondale, I developed a lot more than just that. I spent two and a half months on uh, clay body color and learning how to make tape, uh, glaze look like tape and how to make molds, and making molds really well. I I started making nails, and anything that I'd make, I wanted to make out of a mold. I was really concentrated on making slip casting and being a slip caster at that point. Uh, So when I left, I was slip casting everything, and some of the boxes got, you know, they were like 19 by 12 inches, and... uh, falling apart due to some of my lack of technical knowledge. Uh, But then, so I go from these more sculptural pieces, and then I start playing with the idea of being able to make layered cardboard and being able to see through the piece instead of just making a slab and putting the texture in. And that's when I leave undergrad, leave SIU, and I start making these tiles and like I said one of my best friends is like oh you should apply to ISU I'm still living in the area and I'm yeah it's kind of close to home and I'll take that you know it's kind of nice and uh, my wife was willing to move anywhere where we got in and like I said money being a, a huge factor as, as well as you know I wasn't just applying to any school I looked at, you know, just because of its location, I was actually looking at the faculty when I wanted to go. Sure. uh, I knew quite a few people there, and uh, my my best friend's cousin, who was there as a photography major, tells me uh, that I was known as the cardboard guy (laughs) before I even got there uh, for just the preliminary meat tiler and see right. the campus type thing and uh, everybody kind of knew my reputation of being able to make this cardboard ceramic cardboard looking stuff so well and it's interesting too because even though just to kind of backtrack slightly I mean it sounds like then too a lot of what you wind up then doing is really a lot of experimentation in terms of how do I mimic this how do I how do I come up with something that's a that's a really close you know to, to, to the real life counterpart well, yeah, like I said, you know, two two and a half months on just my clay body. And I didn't start from scratch. I called Jim Schiedinger, who had worked with Rauschenberg for his Tampa clay pieces, and he gave me these this formula for this clay body. And I'm like, oh, great, that, you know, I'll start from there. And then I start doing research, and I'm like, oh, that material isn't mined anymore, and I have to go to the substitute, and that one's not mined. And, you know, five steps later, I have my two chemicals but they're so far removed I have to do percentage tests and shrinkage tests and all that and so so through my own perseverance I learned a lot of the technical knowledge that I needed to continue and then got got work that I was happy with 
and got me into grad school and I was happy and I thought, you know, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to be a slipcaster and I, you know, I understand this, this very small scope of this very large medium and, uh, and I knew I was going to learn some and I thought, oh, it's going to stay pretty much the same. And then I met Bill Conger who came in for a studio visit and ruined your life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, ruined my life. I'm sure Bill's going to appreciate that one. Uh, he came in, and I had my work all laid out. And he had been talking with me about it before that. And he goes, and he walks over, and he's beelining to my pieces, and then he starts to take, you know, glide off the side, and he goes, what about this? And I said, that's just a piece of pink foam that somebody was using. It's like, yeah, but how great would it be if you made that? And <laughs> I suppose I could. I mean, okay, I have to figure out the colorants and all that. And then he turns around and he's like, what about this over here? And he just started picking up random objects. And, you know, I, I have the critique with him in the studio visit. And he leaves and I'm just like, he just picked up objects for 20 minutes and showed them to me. Like, what about this? What about that? Right, and right. Like, I, don't, I don't even understand right now. And it took it. It took a while, and I'm floundering through the first uh, year and a half of grad school, and and it finally clicked in what Bill had said. And I'm like, I'm always trying to make what I know how to make instead of being like, I like how these two objects interact together and create the dialogue. Okay, so how do I make those objects? And then going off in that tangent. So then that that started a whole new thing for me. I'm like, well. I know how to dip stuff and slip, and I'm still working slip casting, and just barely starting to do hand building, and so I'm dipping things and slip, and firing out the the organic materials and the synthetic materials, and so then I'm starting to get some of those, and then I'm like, okay, and uh, then I, you know, and that and that series was all on the wall. Uh, it's making cardboard pieces that hung on the wall at that point, and then when I started to start thinking about these objects, I brought them back down off the wall and started to arrange them and create these dialogue between the pieces, which ended up being way more, uh, way more developmental and way more rich for my content-wise in creating these dialogues with these different uh, seemingly banal and familiar objects. Well, and so... In, in terms of then the, the way that you're presenting these then, and it's hard to tell just from slides, and obviously there's things that, are, that materials are listed. So um, are all all the, the work that you wind up doing at this time, I mean, do you wind up incorporating then um, found objects along with them or objects, or are they all just all kind of these these recreated ceramic kind of pieces that, that look like the real thing, but they aren't? They're all ceramic until... Uh uh, my thesis show, uh, where I incorporate wood as part of it. I had made this uh, during my MFA thesis show. There's a what looks like a two by four with a rock balancing on it, and it's called inversed or something like that. And the, the rock is made of wood, and the wood is made of ceramic. Playing with the material trick. And I'd used some wire and some other pieces, but for the most part, you know, we're shooting 
probably 95% ceramic at that point, and then, uh, then I have another conversation before I showed the Peoria Art Guild with Bill, and he's like, you know, this is probably six months before he gives me, asked me to be in that sh in show there, and he goes, well, you have to decide, and he's talking about umbrellas and triangles and <laughs> what's at the top of your umbrella, your triangle. He's like, that's what you have to figure out. Do you want to be a ceramic guy or do you want to be a sculptor? I'm like, I want to be a ceramic guy. Like, that's the whole reason I like clay. I love clay. I love what I can do with it. And at this point, uh, I've, I've learned how to do so many techniques and I've gone to workshops and seen visiting artists. And I know I have this wide range of... Uh, techniques that I can make pretty much anything I want and I know the you know the clay body stuff like painters know their paint and so then I'm like well I want clay to be up there he's like well then everything has to be clay I'm like okay I got I, I got that so then you know I go into testing mode again and uh I I had already started messing with paper clay and I started buying some other tools and uh, really unconventional tools like pasta rollers uh, to make ticket stubs. And then I start thinking about, oh, I need to make paper and how do I make paper? And then I do my research and I try some people's recipes and I'm like, it's not good enough. And I tweak it and I tweak it some more and then all of a sudden I have my own uh, clay recipe that I'm making translucent. Uh, quote-unquote paper so well and so one of the things that you know since I'm I am a a, a very limited uh, 2d guy you know I, I know little things but I I don't know much about especially especially I was gonna say even just listening to you talk about it earlier it sounds like there's such a scientific approach in, in terms of making that um, I don't know I think I think most painters, maybe they're just lazy. I don't know. Figure they're just going to be like, I just, I'll just cut that down in like a, in the table saw, and that'll clean up the edge. You know, you know something that's very hack oriented. But I was going to ask you too, like especially like, so in terms of then incorporating color, and especially some of the, you know, obviously you've got different surfaces that you're that you're able to kind of manipulate then in terms of if you're slip casting it, and I'm guessing then that you're also able to manipulate it with textures and things like that. But then in terms of the color, wh where does that come from and, and what is that process involved? And so, again, it's probably something that I should confess that I probably should know. So I'm just a deficient well, uh, art person that should know this, you would think. Well, I, I don't know if it's any different than, you know, I talk to plenty, plenty of painters and they, I, once we get past paint and brushes, I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, gel mediums and all sure. that. Okay, I don't know what you're talking about, you lost me. Uh, and I feel like it's the same way backwards, you know, to me, from the painters, but that's fine, and I think everybody knows their technical procedures. You know, that's what we do, so of course we're highly invested in it. Uh, but the color was always a problem coming out of undergrad and I, I really wanted to explore more color and that's where these uh, tiled wall pieces came from. I was playing with the idea of starting these narrative compositions of shapes with 
uh, conspiracy theories. And then using the underglaze material to paint on top of them in drips and things like that. And I, I remember one of my first grad reviews, and Andreas Fischer was in there, and he decides to uh, tell me that, you know, they were having the, what seemed like, or still seems like, a pretty legendary conversation throughout my grad reviews of, uh, well, should he make it out of the real thing or make it out of clay? And for the first year and a half, which is, what, three grad reviews, I didn't really talk at all for 45 minutes. I listened to professors argue back and forth. <laughs> um, and Andreas, you know, was firmly on one side and firmly on the other, but the the thing was is that I had started to put these these tiles on the wall and add color to them, and all of a sudden, you know, things like the grassy knoll, uh, which is a reference to JFK's assassination, uh, start to have these bright greens and reds and things like that. And the shapes are starting to come through, so I'm thinking, you know, more... I don't want to say painterly, but I'm not thinking as sculpturally as I want to. And I knew that at that time, but I knew I needed to introduce color. And then when I take them back off the wall and I go back onto the pedestal, then I'm thinking, well, okay, so now I have this one clay body that I know works really well. And I have this wide range of colors that I know how to use. So then I start introducing, like, I need something that has color, so I need to have gray. What's gray? A rock is gray, okay, now I need some red. What's red? A matchstick has, you know, it's red. So then I start, I, I start refining my, my trompoid vernacular, and I, I find objects that have color on purpose, and I start collecting them so that I can be like, you know, doing that, well, what happens when I put this object next to this object? How, do, how does that create dialogue, and how does that, you know, that speak? And then I can control the color in the first part, and it takes tweaking, and, well, maybe that matchbook doesn't work, but, you know, this matchbook over here does, and it has a different color, you know, folder flap and different colored match heads. And so I start to introduce color that way with just, I don't want to say limiting my, my scope of objects, but being much more picky about the objects I choose to mimic. Well, and I think, too, the other thing that might be important to talk about, and, you know, especially with the, you know, the images that, that I've been looking through um, and the ones that, you know, you included that will be posted up, uh, you know, on the on the blog post, you know, it seems like some of them, the, the pieces really kind of take on slightly different contexts in terms of, you know, the, what, what they relate to in terms of maybe some of the other objects that are kind of going on, but then also maybe even just different narratives, you know, and I'm thinking of like, especially the ones that you had sent me, um, there's one that looks like a, like a burned out, like a radioactive sign, and there's like a hunk of wood on top of it, or at least what looks like it should be wood that's, you know, just a, a scorched, uh, you know, kind of fragment of that. But then at the same time, if you, you know, move along to some of the other images, they might be more of those kind of banal, you know, boxes with, you know, what looks like the kind of packing materials you would associate with the boxes, you know. And, I mean, I don't know, that could be even juxtaposed with something like these, you know, these, uh, uh, you know, white-coated, 
you know, paintbrushes that are just, that look like they're just, you know, like the kind of paintbrushes that you forget to clean out and, you know, kind of leave in that setting. And so when you're approaching these pieces, then are there, are there specific angles or specific kind of narratives that you want to create with, with what it is that you're, you're dealing with, the different components? Um, and I guess, I don't know, where, where does that aspect of it come in in terms of how you're going to start a new piece and, and what you wind up becoming interested in? Well, some of it's uh, very serendipitous, like the burnt piece of wood. I We have this portable fire pit that we use to roast marshmallows and things like that. And, uh, we After a fire one time, I was sitting next to our door, and I happened to walk by it, and I saw, uh, I think on there, there's an in-progress of that burnt piece of wood where I have the clay object next to the actual object. And... I was just really taken, taken with that object and how it looked very much like a mountain and very much like a burnt piece of wood at the same time. And then I started to think about that. And, uh, and, and some of those pieces happened that way, but uh, the paintbrush piece that you're talking about was very specific to Heavy Brow when I decided to show there. And Brandon and Steve both gave me kind of free reign do whatever I wanted, which was nice, and it was kind of nice on my part because I got to not tell them anything, and they didn't know what I was bringing, they didn't, all that was new fresh work um, that I brought there, and I installed it, and, uh, you know, the paintbrushes were there, there were nails in the wall with frames on the floor, there's a table in the window with what seems like sawdust and framing parts and all this. And then there was a, also a shelf upstairs with some nails on it. And I, I hung the whole show and Brandon wasn't there and he calls me. He's like, well, do you need me to clean up the floor? I'm like, no, it's fine. He's like, yeah, but there's footprints. And I said, that, you know, it's fine. I named the show Preparations so that it looked like there was someone setting up a show because I've become very concerned or very interested in the idea that people overlook my objects until someone or something cues them into the fact that they're ceramic. And then they have to go re-investigate it. And so that show was the perfect time uh, to have this traffic flow from the bottom floor to the top floor. and uh, Of course you have the people that come in off the street and they're like, you know, they'd come out and there's like, there's nothing in there. There's just nails in the wall and paintbrushes upstairs. And right. I'm like, well, that's kind of the point. And, uh, you know, and I asked Steve, I said, is this okay? You know, because I'm, I'm still fairly new to showing in galleries and learning how that all works. And especially not having talked with him about it beforehand. And he's like, no, it's fine. And I'm like, okay, it's great. And, we were both, you know, I, I think I was way happier with the way that show turned out. And so when I went to make those pieces, the the objects were choices about how to set up a gallery show and how to think about where I'd display things and what to right. do with the gallery. Well, and is there, some, is there a larger kind of, um, I don't know, a larger idea that you're trying to, to pull from and the idea that you're, you're essentially, you know, using such a, a, you know, amazing amount of replicating something that looks real, even though, 
eventually I, you want people to recognize that it's that it's a it's ceramic. I mean, is there a, a particular you know way that you're thinking about it to try to represent it to the viewer to have them re-examine something about you know their surroundings or the banal or is it? Oh yeah, I, I like the idea that these very banal objects can be looked at as banal objects and overlooked, and then uh, once you contextualize them in the art context, all of a sudden they become very poetic and uh, like the paintbrushes. I I think are a perfect example of that. They're very simple and very easy to read, and but once you understand that they're there for art and you know, I took the time to make them out of ceramic and they look very much like a real paintbrush, you can also make some really clear associations of how the how the two things interact in this uh, sort of poetic moment in this um, I don't I don't know, kind of leftover identity of who was in the space before you got there. Right. So there's like a, like a remnant that you, you know, yeah. are kind of being, you know, presented with, um, yeah, and which I, is, it's, it's interesting too. Cause I mean, then there's, you know, there's other works that really kind of almost, well, like in the same way that you have somebody asking if they could sweep up. I mean, you know, I'm looking at, there's a, there's another image that, that you had sent that, um, literally just looks like, you know, a bunch of rocks and dirt on the floor. So, I mean, some of that stuff kind of really pushing into being, I don't know, that kind of hyper, hyper real kind of material that you're going to see around and just almost disregard. So it's an interesting, interesting idea in terms of trying to push that, um, you know, into a space where someone might be able to identify what it is and, and to, to reconsider it or, um, I don't know. And I, I really like how, you know, putting certain objects together creates these relationships or create these relationships together. And I can reference a lot of things and yet, you know, I've had pieces stepped on, I've had uh, nails, ceramic nails that I've had in walls, I've had people flick them, I've had people try to pound them in with hammers. Um, I see a lot of gallery people trying to touch things, and that's that's really nice, you know, as a technical feat, and kind of humorous, I think, is more mm -hmm. uh, where I dig up on that. But then I also like the other, the other side of that coin, is where the people are thinking about why they're arranged in that way, and they're trying to read, uh, you know, why these objects might be together, and that point of anticipation with some of my earlier works, in contrast to some of the newer works, where something might be looking like it's almost ready to move or fall, and then the newer works where it's like, okay, so there's a whole bunch of rocks and leaves, but then all of a sudden you're starting to think about streams and how this is how these objects bring you to a different place or a different moment. Well, and I think for me, you start wondering about the, I don't know, you almost want to form narratives, you know, for what you wind up saying. And I mean, especially some versus, you know, especially more than the others, but especially this, um, this one of the, uh, the matches with the, what, you know, looks like a, you know, a burnt, you know, Polaroid photo. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, obviously, that's kind of a maybe like a that kind of clear relationship because you've kind of made it so that it looks like it's, you know, burned, um, um, and kind of give it that kind of look. Um, but you know, like I don't know, is are, are there any other pieces that you can think of 
that you kind of, um, I don't know, might highlight as, a, as like another variation of that or another way that you're, that you wind up thinking through, uh, uh, some of these pieces, you know, in terms of that, that process, how you choose something. Well, I think, I think a lot of them have similar characteristics and I, you know, I was thinking about the relationship of those Polaroids and the matchbook is, you know, photographs are very memory oriented, still working with memory. And then the matches being able to, to burn the photographs away. And I think there's something about dimension, the title and thinking about a experience my grandfather had. And I, I pull a lot of stories that I've heard over the years and I try to pull them and think of objects that would work. But, you know, my grandfather had dementia and had this very vivid memory of something that wasn't true. And when you, you know, and they said it's because of, uh, it was because of his blood pressure that he had these, had this episode. And when he came back off of it, you know, he realized that he was incorrect. And it's sort of like that relationship to the photo of being this, this frame of memory. But I think a lot of us get disillusioned with those, those times and, you know, that's all we have is that one instant picture. Um, but the same thing happens with the other Polaroid pictures. Uh, I have a set of five of them that are all black. Uh, in, in trying to make the relationship between this very easy, simple thing to capture a memory, but yet they're all blank, so you're losing, you're losing the memory slowly over time, or the the film's not working just right, and then that leads into all these other Polaroids that I'm making. Uh, or trying, like, the piece with the crumpled paper on the floor and the box on the stool, thinking about, you know, you go to write a letter, or you try to make a coherent thought, and it takes all these tries to try to make something work, and I, I feel like that's how my studio practice works is I just try combinations of things over and over and over until I get the right combination that makes some kind of reference to uh, a story or a way of thinking that creates that narrative, not only for me, but also for the viewer that comes up on it. Well, and I think, too, it, se- it seems like then there's, a, there's an idea then of, of, and I've already kind of um, said this a little bit, but, you know, kind of reexamining, you know, what's around us. But I mean, I think, you know, again, if you, you really stop, if you think about it, I mean, again, there's like, everything is really a construction. It's a, you know, series of like, you know, causal links of, you know, chemicals firing in your brain that allow you to, you know, smell an orange or, you know, get the certain feel of like the texture of something or, or see a particular kind of color. And it seems like then too, that kind of pushing that idea of, you know, seeing something that you assume automatically right away is like the real thing that when you kind of recognize that it's not, that maybe it's something that kind of helps you to kind of, I don't know, want to re-examine all those things that are are in your life, how how they are all kind of constructs or, you know, how there's, um, you know, a duality, a dual nature to it. Not, not that it's necessarily this, this straight line, straight path, um, you know, what have you. So it's, it's interesting to see how that, that winds up working out in all these different, you know, scenarios, different 
pairings of the the materials and you know the ideas that you're that you're working with. Yeah. Well, I think making them out of ceramic, and once the viewer realizes they're ceramic, there there's some kind of moment of preciousness, or it becomes much more valuable than just the banal object. So it's elevating those those moments, not only in you know, compositionally constructed pieces, but also in the objects themselves. It's kind of lifting them up out of their, uh, their familiar place or their banal place. And well, and I guess talking about, too, the, the way that they're... And again, this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just shooting from the hip here, but, too, then it also kind of talks about then those things that you... Yeah, that you really do gloss over. I mean, if you think about being able to just go to a store and buying a ream of paper... Or, you know, ruled paper. It's like the easiest thing in the world. There's such a disconnect from how it's made, you know. Mm-hmm. And so having to kind of hand make all these things, you know, I think that also really kind of speaks to that element of, um, you know, work, you know. Appreciating work. Yeah, and like I said, there's some level, you know, that I'm always, I really like personally that, you know, I don't really care if, if the viewer understands so much of the work aspect as I do about the content. But, you know, I, I find it really funny. I made, I made like 25 of these sheets of lined paper, and I found myself silk screening blue lines onto blue lined paper to be able to make the right thing, and, uh, you know, or taking a rock to make a rock texture, or taking a piece of wood to make wood texture. And it seems really really silly to me um, to do all that but at the same time I'm, I can manipulate the object so much more or I feel like I have so much more control if I know how it's made versus taking the actual object and trying to you know, carve a piece of wood or learn how to uh, fracture a rock the correct way because I know, I know how it's going to look if I find the found object and then I can you know not mass produce it, but I can make one object there, and then I can make a similar one for a different piece. Um, so I, I like that ability to be able to make those objects and know how things are made and uh, duplicate those things that I find. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting way of researching, if you really, you know what I mean, in terms of then, uh, you know, I imagine then you've got like a closet full of... Uh, these items that you try to replicate, hopefully, you know, no coins or, you know, currency, you know, we don't want to see you get arrested, but, um, well, and, and again, um, it's, it's amazing how quickly time goes by because we're almost at a, at an hour here. Um, but I know one of the things that I wanted to, you know, talk to you before we, um, before we move on to is that also, you know, you talked a little bit about showing earlier. I think that, you know, just in correspondence, you've been, extremely active so um i'm guessing then just because i think you were i don't know explain this uh three peat scenario i don't know how, how many shows is it in the last three years or so something? <laughs> uh i got i got challenged and i decided to set a goal for myself uh it was three years ago and i decided i was going to show 12 times in one year so one show a month essentially and by doing that you know you've entered exhibitions and uh, you know, the, I was always told, you know, for every three you apply to, you get into one. And I was like, okay, well, with that scenario, I need to apply to a crap ton of shows. And 
so that's what I did, and I really filled that first year really quickly, and then there was overflow, and uh, I filled a year and a half really easily. And then I was like, well, I might as well make it two years, you know? So then shooting for 24 and 24 and uh, 20, 24 shows in 24 months, and then I got those, and then things started coming at me, which was really nice, you know, finally reaping some of the benefits of uh, my diligence and hard work of trying to apply to shows. And, and then I turn back and I look and not only did I complete the 24 and 24, but now I'm at like 32 and, you know, I still have six months left. And I'm like, well, you know, now, now we might as well go for the three-peat, like the Bulls, right? The, I grew up in that era of the Bulls sure. winning the three-peat. Uh, I found it really funny and I found that image of Michael Jordan with the trophy and he's got his three fingers up and I thought, you know, 36 shows in 36 months that, you know, that's, that's something to shoot for. And it's just always these, uh, they seem like silly goals to me, but, uh, it really helps get my work out there and get my name out there. And now I have galleries that are asking me to show and sure uh, people coming, coming to me about my work, which is nice. Right, know, right. Well, and so then, what do you, what do you have coming up then? Because I'm I'm guessing then you're you didn't stop at 32 and say you know I just don't think oh. I can get it done. <laughs> so I'm, no, guess, I'm guessing you got plenty of stuff coming up, especially with the break. I'm sure that you're anxious to get working. You know. Well, and that's the nice thing is my studio's in my home, so I put my son to bed, and from like eight o'clock on, I can work, and uh, we stay up fairly late, so we're up till eleven and. I have a couple days off every week, so that makes it really easy. But uh, as far as shows go, I, I got my 36 and 36, and uh, I still have some work up at Water Street Studios in Batavia, Illinois. And then in December, which is kind of ended up being like the crowning moment of getting the 36 and 36, is I'm showing in Norman, Oklahoma at Main Site Gallery as an emerging artist, uh, you know, an Illinois kid showing in Oklahoma, which is kind of funny. Sure. Uh, as an emerging artist. So I'm going to drive my work down there, and uh, I think it's a five- or six-person show. I'm not, I can't remember right off the top of my head. Uh, but they're, you know, this collective emerging artist show uh, and then I got into a show for uh, the Archie Brave Foundation. It's the fifth annual Beyond the Brickyard, which will open in February. And then I have, like, the ICC faculty show, which will be in April. And then I'm sure there'll, there's a couple more things in the works, of course, that I'm, like, still tentatively plotting out. And, uh, and it seems silly, and I... I got to this point this year where I'm like, well, now I kind of have to keep a schedule and I have to start telling people no and, uh, you know, because I can't, I can't have all my work in one place for a month and then be like, oh yeah, I can totally have it to you the month right after that because then I have to go get it and sure. expediate out the timelines and with teaching and everything else going on. It's just, it's starting to be, I don't know if it's too much, but I, I still want to make more work, and my wheels are always turning, so I have to balance all the paperwork with all the 
with all the shows and making work. And sure, sure. Well, excellent. I mean, again, and I, I would think too that when uh, when you get a little bit of that lull, then too, it'll be it'll be nice to maybe take a break from not having to have that happen every month. But you know, it'll be interesting certainly to see uh, where it winds up going. So, yeah. You know, and again, I, I want to thank you again for for uh, taking the time tonight to talk to me. And I know that again, it's been fun uh, uh, chit chatting back and forth, and uh, you it's, know, learning about each other over the past year or so. So again, it's uh, great to have you on. And um, you know, remind everybody where we can find uh, more information about your artwork. Uh, you can go to www.timkowalczyk.blogspot.com. Uh, my last name is spelled K-O-W-A-L-C-Z-Y-K. Uh, and I think if you do any kind of cursory search for Tim Kowalczyk art, it'll pop up. It's usually one of the top ones. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, hopefully uh, hopefully you get some a little bit of more uh, trickle of uh, visitors and, and people commenting on it. So, again, I hope everyone goes and checks it out. And, again, you know, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me tonight. So thanks oh, yeah. for coming on. Thanks a lot. Thanks again to Tim for joining us today. Once again, please go and check out all of his great stuff at timkowalczykblogspot.com. I'll also quickly point out that your host is also an artist, and you can go check out my work at davidlinaway.com. Once again, please visit us on Studio Break. we got a ton of interviews and artist work up there and links, so please go ahead and do that. Check us out on iTunes. Subscribe to us there. Leave us comments so that people can easily find it if they want something to listen to that's art-related on their commute to work. And lastly, you can follow us on Twitter, at Studio Break on Twitter, and also check out our Facebook page, Studio Break, there. And once again, we provide a number of updates for upcoming artists and guests and things like that, so please go ahead and check us out there. All right, our music today was found at freemusicarchive.org where they have thousands of songs that you can download all for free. It's a lot of fun to just kind of look around and see what you can find. It's kind of like going to an old CD shop or old record shop and they've got a lot of used stuff and you're just paging through it. But again, this is all types of free music, so please go ahead and check that out. Our intro song today was Bjorn Gordon's Model Job Metro Times Square, and taking us out is Maps and Diagrams Particles of Earth. All right, last little announcement is that we have a number of small highlight episodes coming up. All of our BFA and MFAs that won our first Studio Break 2012 competition. So, once again, please stay tuned for that. We're going to be posting those real shortly, and we hope that you spread the word about these great young artists as well. So, that's all the show that we have for today. We'll talk to you real soon.